0: hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable
1: rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And now New Galaxy Broadcasting presents Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition, a program addressing the grave challenges to human and citizen rights in America and the rest of the world. How can we, the people of Earth, take back the power and privileges granted to us by God and address so significantly in the Declaration of Independence? Our rights are inalienable, that is, given by God and incapable of being taken away from or given by another. These rights are the basis of liberty, the foundation of all life and happiness. The Coalition of Planetary Empowerment is an organization designed to give its members tools and information to empower them personally, in relationships and in business and employment, but also to give them a voice and the ability to help transform political and corporate governance to support the true needs and desires of people throughout the world. Inalienable and Free focuses on the need for government and corporate business interests to be responsive to the will and desire of their constituents and consumer shareholders. Welcome to Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition. This is our second show on the denuclearization of the planet. Our first show was focused on the question, should we denuclearize the Earth? The answer to this should have been a resounding yes. Because of the extreme danger all these nuclear-powered potential adversaries have, and that there could be technological mistakes made, especially owing to computer errors, which could actually cause the death of the human species in a matter of hours. Today's question is, how could we denuclearize the planet? does not seem at all irrelevant. To address this issue, first let's look at the transition to a non-nuclear weapons world. Although the power motive is very difficult, seemingly an almost insurmountable obstacle, the profit motor may be a partial answer. Is there a way to utilize the resources of the major defense companies to maintain their profitability in the transitional or actual post-nuclear war, the place for future development and continuation of their profitability. Ultimately, yes, it's called the universe, a place I believe to be loaded with adventure, unlimited and valuable assets, and opportunities for personal and spiritual growth that may be beyond our capacity to even consider at this stage of mankind's development. Still, this perception of a future and ostensibly different world can be really troublesome to defense and oil companies entrenched in a certain way of doing things. Let's listen to Daniel Ellsberg in an interview in The Real News discussing how dependent we are economically on the nuclear weapons
2: industry. Our policy has rested really since the beginning of the Cold War and since the formation of NATO on using as an instrument of policy the threat to destroy civilization or most of humanity with backed up by the capability to do it keeping it modern, keeping it up to date, uh, replacing uh, old weapons with uh, that were finishing their production lines with new weapons to produce more profits and jobs and votes. We'll come back to that. Uh, our economy, to a considerable extent, uh, depended on this process of peacetime armament or Cold War armament indefinitely, as though we were... Preparing for war indefinitely, and that's what we have been doing. I Don't think that any of our presidents wanted a nuclear war at all possibly, but they did want to threaten it They wanted to base alliances on that threat and that promise and to and to prepare for it and the preparing Was uh, not a cost really it was a benefit to General Dynamics and uh, Raytheon Lockheed Boeing uh, who to this day they I say, depend for most of their sales and their profits and their jobs on new weapons, despite the fact that we've had the ability to blow up most humanity for over half a century. So the, that cost, I said, is being uh, maintained, essentially. Why? We, uh, I've asked myself this, and I've asked others in the last 10 and 15 years. Why, again, is Russia... And Putin no longer leaders of a communist uh, philosophy, which at least pretended to global uh, ambitions, and n- not that it was ever able to uh, come close to achieving those. But uh, Russia makes no no appearance of that. You know, now, with the loss of the East Europe and the Warsaw Pact, uh, their economy, I've been told, is their GDP, GNP, is somewhat on the level of Italy. But uh, there we are, not not a great world power. Uh, ever. And uh, why, this, uh, why this fear? And I think the answer is much as it was 70 years ago, that only Russia provides a rationale for this defense mobilization, this, uh, this, these budgets year after year. I think we found in the first part of this century, you just can't justify new Trident submarines or new ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, against ISIS. Uh, or against Afghanistan, really. Only Russia will do. Someday, perhaps, uh, China, uh, will present itself as a military power that needs this kind of uh, mobilization on our part. Not now. So it's Russia or nothing. And I think when they realize that it's very hard to run an empire, and that's what presidents do, uh, without an enemy, a hostile, a allegedly hostile power, as big as Russia, and as widespread as Russia, with a lot of targets um, to, uh, to buy vehicles to destroy them with. Um, it's, it's a necessary component of our political economy, I would say, and of our alliances, which provide us a, uh, our hegemony, even in the capitalist world.
1: But for the moment, let's look at the steps to denuclearization and its immediate consequences, given our current geopolitical and economic positions first thing we need to have is an agreement between all the nuclear powers to denuclearize the world. You would think that might be helpful if it started back in August of 1945, after the obvious devastation and human carnage resulting from the only two atomic or nuclear weapons actually used in about 73 years, that is, used on other people. We had a lot of tests. It doesn't take some kind of Forbidden Planet Krell IQ booster to see what we created. But somehow in the mind of the cousins of Dr. Strangelove throughout the world, the next thing to do after destroying the cities in Japan was to create hydrogen weapons. Was this to accelerate the possibility of destruction of the entire planet? Perhaps the mentality of those scientists and defense industrial companies is not really suicide. It's just that they're risk-takers, adventurous spirits who would rather work with blowing up the planet instead of just a city or two, or even a country here and there. After all... War like that would probably not happen, but we could take the risk. Suppose for a moment there was some kind of peacemaking pill slipped into these countries' UN representatives during a meeting of the Security Council, and all the top officials there became so enthralled with saving the planet that they made a persuasive argument to their prime ministers, presidents, or other relevantly titled leaders. and They took it to their Congress, parliaments, or other types of leadership panels, and the answer was, let's do it. Let's give peace a chance. Let's not blow up the planet. With that thought, we'll take a break now. And after some short messages, we'll play Believe, a song produced and written by singer-songwriter Zave Nathan that should be an anthem for all those who truly believe in the possibility of our country restoring and enhancing the American dream. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio, or video products on the internet, television, or radio, musical scores for advertising television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living developing, nurturing, and useful technology, and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast, and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. That's www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we'll get back with you. Are you confused about so much information on health issues? Do you find it hard to trust the sources of conflicting advice? Try Dr. Rodier's newsletters and vlogs based on the latest information published in the best medical and nutritional journals. There's no charge for subscribing. Just log on to HugoRodier.com. That's H U G O R O D I E R.com. To do so or to download Dr. Rodier's latest publications. This is Johnny Bluestar host of Inalienable and Free, the voice of the Coalition, a program devoted to the development of the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our Founding Fathers. Although we must begin with the social network restricted to United States citizens, The organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. We mustn't
3: forsake and forget who we are As our future and past are written in the stars
4: Every day of our lives we should
3: pray to the sky We are one, we all love, you and I Say, forget who we are As a future and my story In the sky Every day of our life We should pray to the sky We are one, we are left
1: Well, although the nuclearized countries have not agreed to disarmament, the non-nuclear countries have certainly beat them to it.
5: It's The Real News, I'm Aaron Maté. The United Nations has moved a step closer in the goal for a nuclear-free world. On Friday, the General Assembly approved the first ever global treaty to ban nuclear weapons.
6: This is a historic moment for the international community. This is the um, first multilateral nuclear disarmament treaty to be concluded in more than 20 years.
5: 122 nations voted in favor. Countries can start signing the treaty when the UN General Assembly meets in September. But there's one big obstacle. All nine nuclear powers, the US, Russia, Britain, China, France, India, Pakistan, North Korea, and Israel, opposed the treaty and boycotted the proceedings. I'm joined by two guests. Ira Helfand is co founder of Physicians for Social Responsibility, and Rick Wayman is director of programs and operations at the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Ira, I'll start with you. Uh, You were involved in this long process to get this treaty going. Uh, Your reaction to its passage after such a long period of work on it? Well,
0: I think this is truly an historic uh, treaty that provides a real impetus to moving forward now towards the actual abolition of nuclear weapons. Uh, as you pointed out, the nuclear weapons states, the nuclear armed states, did not participate in this process, and that's been the whole problem. They have not wanted to honor their obligations under previous treaties, the Non-Proliferation Treaty, to eliminate their nuclear arsenals. And the rest of the world has finally lost patience. You know concerned by the overwhelming medical evidence that even a very limited nuclear war would be a worldwide catastrophe, the rest of the international community has issued, I think, a real challenge, saying that they will no longer accept a situation in which nine countries hold the entire world, including their own people, hostage to these terribly dangerous nuclear arsenals.
5: Ira, it's interesting you mentioned the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, because the argument that I've heard from the U.S. and other nuclear powers is that we need to strengthen the NPT, that that's the answer. That's why we don't need this new ban. Well, the NPT specifically calls on all nations
0: to negotiate further agreements to eliminate nuclear weapons. And so this treaty is fully consistent with the mandate of the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And the United States, if it were serious about its obligations to negotiate the abolition of nuclear weapons would have joined this process. The problem is that the United States and the other nuclear weapon states do not want to do that. They all intend to hold onto their nuclear arsenals as long as they possibly can. And this is a profoundly dangerous, reckless policy that they are pursuing. And we need to see a fundamental change in that policy, away from the idea that nuclear weapons, in some way, enhance national security. We need to understand, rather, that these weapons are the primary threat to national and world security, and that the world will only be safe, the people of the world will only be safe when these weapons are actually abolished and, and dismantled.
1: Well, Lynn, uh, you, you called in with some an important announcement.
7: Yeah, I just wanted to say real quick to everyone, please share the nuclearplanet.com. NuclearPlanet.com, they have a lot of information about 60 more nuclear weapon uh, facilities that are being amped up and uh, made. So it's just a critical time. Thank you for your program. And it's time for Armies of Lightworkers, Inner Peace World Peacemakers. So, anyway, thank you so much, and, um yeah, it's not okay, and NuclearPlanet.com is there to help. And U-N-A-C, U-N-A-C, capital U, capital N, capital A, capital dot com. I mean, .org, um, United National Anti-War Coalition. They're really important to get involved with. Thank you so much, Johnny. Star, we'll you. see
1: you later, Lynn. Thank you. Well, I think it would be rather foolish to think that after taking peace pills and becoming super persuasive United Nations representatives, that everybody would just go about willy-nilly destroying these rather expensive and ultra-dangerous weapons and not be looking over their shoulders every minute for the next preemptive strike from their now more than conciliatory nuclear weaponized neighbor. Can other nuclear countries do this with a handshake or signed agreement? Just look at the goings-on in the Security Council today to see if that's possible. So we have to look at some things here. One, we have to avoid a preemptive strike from a dishonest country. I think the next step would be to jointly develop an ironclad defense methodology that would be built simultaneously in all the then-current nuclear powers. Can we do it? Why not? We can build a skyscraper. We have certainly proven it can be knocked down. That takes less time than building it in the first place. But putting time constraints aside... Building these defense shields, whatever the agreed upon technology or technologies, will take a bit of time and a lot of money. To create a completely different non-lethal, non-main type of technology to use for defense purposes would be the uh, second aspect of this. First defense shields, now a different kind of weaponry in general. This would need to be accomplished by a completely different strategy involving capture, detaining, and rehabilitation of prisoners of war. For the moment, we could call this approach, in general, the whole thing, defensive warfare. Obviously, if you kill everybody, you don't take prisoners of war. Non-lethal warfare is not new, but we are not just talking about tasers or pepper sprays here. The military of the United States and certain private companies have been working on non-lethal warfare for quite some time. Here is one example an electromagnetic beam weapon discussed by the AFP news agency.
4: Oh! a wave of extreme heat that comes from nowhere. It's one of the U.S. military's newest non-lethal weapons, an electromagnetic beam that emits an odorless, invisible, and silent blast of heat.
8: It felt like opening up
0: an oven door, almost mixed with a sting from about my sternum to my neck. So, like, you started to really feel it on my neck before I had to kind of instinctually jump out of the way.
4: This weapon, under development for 15 years, has yet to be used in the field. The technology has attracted safety concerns, though the U.S. military says the rays do not penetrate the skin and pose no health risks.
8: If an operator is is squeezing the trigger and there's a lot going on and he uh, inadvertently keeps squeezing the trigger, there's an automatic shutoff for three seconds.
4: Out of 11,000 exposures on people, only two minor injuries have been recorded. The Pentagon has not yet decided whether it will order the active denial system, whose powerful beam can reach up to a thousand meters.
0: Picture, like an invisible searchlight, right? You know what a searchlight looks like. So invisible, an invisible searchlight of radio waves going downrange. So it's this big when it starts, and at the end, it's the same size.
4: Eventually, the weapon could be put to a wide array of uses, such as thwarting hostile attacks, dispersing mobs, and reinforcing security. For now, it remains just a prototype. Another
1: point: since capturing rather than killing and maiming enemy combatants would be the cornerstone of a new strategy, there would need to be new technologies and practices for interrogation rehabilitation. We are not talking here of anything like MK Ultra's inhuman and, and poisonous experiments but a nurturing and humane contribution to this kind of task. This human and redemptive protocol would be useful in dealing with the treatment of those guilty of non-military criminal offenses also. Although deterrence cannot be ignored as a primary consideration when drafting criminal penalties, education and true rehabilitation should be a main component of all corrective institutions. This is going to take a lot of research supported by the integrity and intentions of compassionate, serious researchers and the countries and companies supporting them. Still, under certain circumstances, of course there's going to be the need for combat. The deployment of defensive weapons against parties guilty of war crimes and other crimes against humanity will be utilized when approved by international law. Sometimes, unavoidably, lethal warfare will be appropriate, but still just a component of the defensive strategy. If if our enemy compels us, we must protect the innocent. Currently, according to the Charter of the United Nations, military action can only be taken by a nation unilaterally in the case of true self-defense or by approval of the Security Council. For instance, warfare might be necessary by virtue of the development of and retention of illegal weapons of mass destruction without destroying their stockpile and technologically immediately upon request. Ethnic cleansing, a major activity in the world today a war of conquest to amass human, technological, and natural resources, or a revolt against an unjust and corrupt government. Such international agreements are now broken daily. In other words, other countries just go to war without checking with the Security Council and making sure everything's all right. The development of a world police to, in part, monitor any possible infractions of the disarmament conditions, to locate and arrest any persons or groups involved in the creation, diffusion, or use of this WMD technology. This organization would be composed of military and police from different countries, trained in these specific tasks, but also to protect the planet from any multinational violations due to illegal activities. The next item is uh, that we would have the... Military and defense industries work in defense of the environment and use their skill and energy to, along with private industry like the energy sector, advanced environmental technology companies, commercial spacecraft companies, and other related companies to assist in crises around the world. To basically work up to clean up the air, water, and soil around the world, this would be analogous to the government working with both the commercial defense industry and government-sponsored projects in particular to continue to develop and deploy methodology to destroy nuclear waste and other toxic residues of weaponry and chemical waste generated by commercial and government institutions. There are indeed now safer methods of handling nuclear waste, say by plasma technology as developed by Tektronics. but to actually destroy rather than just stabilize and better contain the highly dangerous substances has not yet been accomplished, at least to my knowledge. Another point really important, the exploration of space will involve a vast array of projects involving initially creating bases on the Moon and Mars, but also along the way dealing with space tourism and asteroid and planetary mining activities. The ultimate objectives would be the terraforming of Mars, for instance, and the development of faster-than-light and stellar technology. To this end, a great deal of robotics, and perhaps A1, would be necessary. Years ago, I helped pioneer Rockets Away, a media company devoted to commercial spaceflight. We founded this company one year after the successful flight of Spaceship One, a product of the world's first private space program by Bert Rutan. The ship, which won the $10 million Ansari X Prize, sponsored by Peter Diamandis and the X Foundation, was the flagship event which triggered the coming to light of many other companies, including Musk's SpaceX and Richard Branson's Virgin Galactica. I interviewed many space entrepreneurs at the time, reported on the early growth of this industry, which to some extent went relatively out of the public sight until Elon Musk triggered the world's excitement with his efforts to found a mission to Mars.
8: So the question is, is it really possible? Well, let's get a reaction now from Poplar Science Senior Editor Sophie Bushwick. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, man going to Mars has been a dream for a very long time. Elon Musk is a dreamer. He's gotten a few things done. Is this an overreach, though? Is this really something that's within we're we're getting this close?
9: Well, we're not going to be going to Mars in 2019. So Musk has said that his goal is to test his BFR rocket in the first half of 2019. And that would probably be probably be just a short up and down flight, a sort of way to show that the, the t- it's like a test run to make sure it can take off, to make sure it can land. Um, but even that would be pretty exciting because this is... Set- This is, this rocket has the goal of being basically the most powerful rocket we've ever, humans have ever had operational. So the biggest rocket to date was the Saturn V. That's the rocket that took astronauts on the Apollo missions, got them to the moon. And this one would have a a greater uh, carrying capacity than the Saturn V. And it would be 100% reusable, which the Saturn V wasn't.
8: Right. I mean, but there would be so many other additional Complications with you know you know that's, uh, such a trip, if, if, if it were possible, certainly than going to to the moon, right?
9: Oh, this would have so a, that's just a lot, an lot hour more power of the but there's
8: other things too. Adjusting our bodies, the time, whatever. I mean, it's just how long would would it take theoretically? Well,
9: I mean musk has said he wants to test the bfr in 2019 and and have it
8: the trip like if we were the trip itself yeah let's say everything went great and we're it's 2030 and ready to go i mean is there an estimate time okay it would take x amount of weeks, days, months, or whatever?
9: I think it would take months. And then once you got to Mars, you'd be settling in for a long trip, right? It wouldn't be worth going unless you were going to have people presumably stay there and die there. And um, people. some people might be able to come back. But I think if people who, who really are are ready to go to Mars, they're ready to become Martians and to really colonize the place and not look back.
8: You think Elon Musk, uh, can you talk to how much he's sort of reinvigorated the idea of space travel and... You know, we see the reusable rockets and the landing, and we we get we're getting these spectacular launches from Cape Canaveral and places like that. I mean, he he's sort of brought an excitement back to it, though, that was missing for a long time.
9: Great. Right. One of his goals, he said, is to create something aspirational. You know, to encourage people to sort of dream big and to be really optimistic about the future of humanity. And I think that, I mean, in my office, when he last month the Falcon Heavy rocket, uh, he launched a Tesla into space, and then the rocket uh, components landed themselves again, and that was everyone in the office gathering around our computers watching this live stream. It was incredibly exciting, and I think that if that's his goal to bring attention to space and to invigorate people, then he's certainly succeeded in that.
8: So, you know, of course, uh, everyone's socially conscious these days, and everything's got to have, you know, sort of some sort of social uh, positive component from mankind in the environment. It is, has he been able to make that argument that? these trips are worthwhile. I mean, it costs a lot of money and people do question at the end of the day, beyond, you know, the circus atmosphere of it, is there, is there a legitimate reason for doing these things? Well,
9: one thing that he said is that in the event of some catastrophe befalling, excuse me, in the event of some catastrophe befalling earth, that having human colonies on other planets would, you know, allow humanity to survive in some way. I, frankly, the easiest way to, to save humanity is to fix problems here on earth, not to try not to colonize, not exactly, not to try <laughs> to colonize a very hostile planet. But I mean, another, another benefit there could be is that, you know, the um, private sector in space is growing. Venture capitalists right. are last year invested billions of dollars in it. And the idea is that you could have maybe tourism flights to space that yeah. would be affordable. Well, that type of thing.
8: I can tell you, Sophie, thank you for coming in because uh, I think this is, is exciting. We'll see ever comes to fruition. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: For me as a child, space was a main infatuation. I must have listened to the record, Destination Moon, based on George Powell's breakthrough movie, dozens of times. This was long before the moon landing, and for the public, was just another level of science fiction. In fact, the movie was based on the work of Robert Heinlein, the omnipresent science fiction writer, along with Isaac Asimov at the time. I suppose the first science fiction show to totally captivate me was Flash Gordon, starring Buster Crabb, whose films were broken down into TV programs but many of these were actually made before I was born. Another film that influenced me was Gene Autry's Phantom Empire, very little remembered for his debut as an actor and Singing Cowboy, a genre which he virtually owned for the rest of his life. In the Phantom Empire, Autry sung from his headquarters in the Radio Ranch while battling an underground civilization that was located actually under the ranch. That also was made quite some time ago and was put onto television sort of like Flash Gordon. Still at the time, space adventure was always the strongest component of science fiction books and media, and Rod Brown and the Rocket Rangers was one of the great sci-fi series on early television, and I was proud to be a member of the official Rocket Ranger Club. That was in second grade, but my infatuation with space travel has never left me, and thanks to Elon Musk, the fire is still burning again. So for a moment, let me offer a tribute to Elon Musk with a nineteen fifty song that for some of us lit the path to the real conquest of space, followed by several messages. And then just to remember the greatness of our own planet and our hopes for a better future, a short segment of a song from the ingenious crop circle filmmaker and extraordinary singer-songwriter and musician Patty Greer.
7: race, rocket rangers all, roaring past, blazing a trail in space, with pride we stand never to fall, we on, ready to fight for right, let the rockets roar, from the sands of Mars out to the distant stars, with the rocket rangers all. Black we race, rocket rangers all. Roaring past, blazing a trail in space, with pride we stand never to fall. Thundering on, ready to fight for right, let the rockets roar. From the sands of Mars, out to the distant stars, with the rocket rangers all. From the sands of Mars Now to the distant stars We're the
1: This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. Want to write a book but don't want the challenges of developing time-consuming social media platform, costly private book promotions, complex email campaigns, and advertising commitments? If you write a book about your business, you don't need a mass audience. Focus on prospective clients with the best business card there is your own book. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form.
2: It is the 15th century. El Tesoro de Cielo, a Spanish treasure ship, sends a scouting expedition to a strange island. Golden statues surrounding them prove the enormity of their finds. Suddenly, hordes of foolish creatures with scaly green flesh and skeletal wings descend upon them from the sky. What do you think of this, Rufio? These creatures
7: are fragile, Captain. We can
2: take them with our swords. They seem supernatural. Who knows what powers they possess?
7: Fallen angels, weakened by their treason.
2: My God! Are you saying they're Luthalim, the devil's host? I'm
7: saying, whatever they are, we can take
2: them. Do any of you cowards dare join me? Up against sharp knife-like nails and hideous fangs, the men's swords rip into slimy green flesh. Though black blood pours copiously from their half-naked bodies, creatures miraculously persist. Can the crew survive this bloody, cursed battle?
4: Find out more by googling The Thrice Born, a new sci-fi supernatural novel by Carlos Lopez Avery and Johnny Bluestar. Google with the words Carlos Johnny Kendall, The Thrice Born, That's Carlos Johnny Kendall, the thrice-born.
1: Here's something that we all need, as presented in this beautiful song by Patty Greer, May Peace Prevail on Earth.
6: May peace prevail on earth And let the children sing Nas
1: coalition assist in developing a priority like this. It is unrealistic to think that initial efforts in this regard would produce much immediate results. The purpose of the coalition's political empowerment division is to ultimately create blocks of voters strong enough to provide incentives for elected officials to respond to large numbers of voters making their requests, as well as to select and find candidates for these positions who agree with the direction of the coalition. Certainly, since one of our inalienable rights enumerated in the Declaration is life, getting rid of nuclear weapons should be our main priority, because without human life, there's very little possibility for advocating any other types of rights. To create meaningful initiatives, members of the coalition from various professions and expertise would have to collaborate to form meaningful presentations or to actually develop pre-legislation proposals suitable for Congress to take to the next level. This current discussion is hypothetical since there is no active membership at this time. In terms of disarmament, one of our gravest concerns is how to get the military and defense organizations behind it. We're now talking about the profit motor. Our goal is not to destroy existing current government, corporate, or media infrastructure and related legal protocols to effect changes. For instance, not to destroy our constitutionally grounded government or the charter of the United Nations to make changes, but rather to enforce the existing law that is supposed to protect us. There have been many legal protocols in both these documents that are supposed to provide protection for the United States and other member states in the United Nations that have been gravely disobeyed and have contributed to the dangerous endless wars that continue to disrupt world peace. World energy companies and world military technology companies have had a tendency to not particularly modify or repurpose their direction despite the harm that is being done. Yet, since this is a financial issue, why not save the world, colonize the planets, and create a robust planetary economy in the process? We could do this if enough citizens in the United States and the rest of the world would cooperate. Still, we would want to do this gently, not by attacking various related industries and dislodging their basic structure as companies serving in part their shareholders and investors who support them, The way to create meaningful change in the geopolitical direction of these industries is to modify their direction in an even more profitable way. To this end, members with military, physics, chemistry, manufacturing, environmental accounting, various other useful backgrounds, as well as perhaps outside volunteer consultants, would collaborate to create an initiative that would frame a sophisticated preliminary approach. Obviously, to repurpose major industries in a big way, we need the human assets to do this coalition would serve as a way for members to work together, even on a massive and massively important project like that. Besides our members, I believe that there are enough patriotic and determined citizens who would volunteer their time to a purpose such as this. Our strategy for disarmament is not focused on going to the streets or creating boycott scenarios. I'm not saying this is always out of place, quite the contrary, but this approach is not based on shaming persons or companies or on coercing them except through the ballot box. But mainly based on our concept of potential material abundance for all people, we believe the primary persuasion is that the industries and the people that work on them can virtually live long and prosper. Based on an industrial approach whose products aren't for killing and maiming people, but for helping them live together in a beautiful, restored planet and to begin a concentrated outreach to the stars. But What I am saying is that the primary tool that citizens have in a democracy is voting. But in order to vote effectively, we need the right representatives who support our goals. But the idea of the coalition goes beyond merely voting. It means in part to do the political and business planning needed to propagate the idea behind initiatives, but also to prepare the kind of media and documentation necessary to clearly inform Congress, elected officials, and government agencies to understand exactly what we need. In other words, part of the coalition's activities is to create mini-think tanks, allied with specific initiatives and following that dialogue and research to create and promote what we need to make it happen. Although in this program we have dwelt on some of the logistics involving nuclear disarmament, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment is a spiritual organization open to those on or aspiring to journey on the spiritual path and to those whose conscience demands that they participate in furthering the inalienable citizen and human rights of all residents on this planet. We believe there is a spiritual state of awareness open to everyone which embodies a quality of righteousness, of goodness, that is mirrored in the conscience of mature individuals regardless if they have not yet experienced this level of awareness. It should be clear that the doctrine of mutually assured destruction is an affront to all people of conscience and must be eliminated if we are all to survive. Where there are many ways to protest government and corporate behavior, the ultimate strength of a democracy devolves to its citizens and who they choose to represent, and indeed, what they believe they need represented. Even from a spiritual perspective, military actions may be necessary, as long as there are greedy and predatory persons who have assumed the reins of power in a country and implement that power to persecute their own citizens and other countries for their own advantage, even if that power is to use scapegoating just to cement their political stronghold. America is meant to be above greed and lust for power over other countries. It should be as the Charter of the United Nations says... Allied with other countries for the good of the planet and for the rights of man is so clearly stated in our own founding documents. Thank you for coming today. After our formal goodbyes, we play a song composed for young people to take a stand against nuclear weapons. The song is called The World is Yours to Change, a song for nuclear disarmament. I think it is a song we should all take to heart. We all want a planet to live in, and we all need these weapons to disappear for good. Thanks for joining Don Newsom and I on Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition. As we go about developing our new organization, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment, we hope you will consider the importance of taking part in the electoral processes of your government and asserting the rights you have to vote for the companies you respect and love by casting your ballot as a shareholder or as a consumer with what you buy. We hope soon to make this possible through a social network responsive to your needs to dialogue about your rights as a citizen, but also to be able to effectively act in concert with like-minded colleagues who find representatives of government and business executives will hear your voice and appreciate your message. See you soon. This is Johnny Bluestar. Imagine a dark night. The wind is crisp and cool, the sky cloudless and majestic. Perhaps you are walking alone or with a loved one. Scattered about the night sky are thousands upon thousands of points of light. Look above you, friends of this restless planet. Out there into the night sky, unknown worlds awake. Beauty behind imagination. Intelligence beyond comprehension. Life in its infinite forms and variations, yet all from the same seed, the same fundamental vibration. A cosmic tapestry of infinite light. Get each thread unique and indispensable. Look above you, out into the vastness of the night sky, for your destiny lies out there, somewhere among the stars.